We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek St. Paul here with the former Los Angeles Rams defensive back Michael Stewart. Folks, we have plenty to talk about today. And we also have a visitor from the Permitville Pods, Sam Marcoux, who will be here for our tour in the league entry on the Miami Dolphins. But first, making his grand reappearance. He was like a Jedi. Gone last week. <laughs> just gone for Mother's Day. He just disappeared. Michael Stewart, welcome back, buddy. Hey man, good to be back, man. I see you did all what did well without me. Well, you know, I kind of get used to like winging it. <laughs> <laughs> so very we, good, we very missed good. you though. We missed you. How was I the uh, it. how it's was the two missed. week break for you? Well, you know, it's still busyness. A lot of busyness going on, but uh, Mother's Day was great. Had a good time with with my lovely wife Nina and, and the boys. We celebrated and went and saw actually a Avenger movie. So that was cool. Ooh, See in game. Yeah. Is so it safe? Was, is it safe to give spoilers now? I mean, it's only about I don't know. Movies. I don't know. Did you see the whole thing on Twitter where everybody just freaked out? Spoiler! Spoiler! Spoilers! Is right. <laughs> As if yeah, it was everybody else's fault that you didn't go see the movie yet. Oh, spoilers! Don't spoil me. Well, then go exactly. See me. Yeah. Go see the movie. Oh my gosh! Two weeks, like same thing for today for Game of Thrones. For those of you uh, who may not realize, we are recording on Game of Thrones night, and already don't spoil, don't spoil. Well, then watch the show if you want it so badly to not. There you go. It's going to be all over social media. You can't hide from it unless you live in a hole. Right. I digress. All right, so we got playing for you today. Um, Chris Law retired. That's one of the things we got to talk to you. Also, want to really dig into Michael's brain here because he was once one of those rookies way, way back eons ago. Maybe not the dark ages, but a long time ago. I'm picking on him a little bit there. And he lived the experience of being a rookie, going to camp for the first time. So I'm going to dig into his brain about that. We had lots of rookies on. We've had a couple of rookies we've interviewed. One that's one interview is coming up pretty soon. That's <laughs> it's pretty fun. And then, uh, of course, we're going to have Sam Marcoux as well. All right, folks, before we do that, though, we do want to let you know this episode is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hollywood's Team. We also remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker, iTunes. I mean, seriously, we are everywhere. 
We're listed on, on Clutch Points. They feature an awesome app that puts loads of NBA and NFL information at your fingertips. Check them out at clutchpoints.com or download the app. And don't forget, we are still seriously doing this contest. It's going to be a long time coming. Last time I did a contest like this, I think I aged about four years. But help us get 200 five-star reviews. The person who, uh, one of the people who helps us get there will receive a $75 gift to NFLshop.com. That's how it works. Head over iTunes, leave a five-star review, and send us an email at RamsTop1945 with a copy of your entry so we know who to reward. Because when you log into iTunes, you have your own ID there. So we don't always know who it really is until you tell us with a screenshot. And then it will also read your feedback on the show. We would love to read your feedback on the show. So there you go. All right, Mike. The big news here in the last couple of days. Chris Long, former Los Angeles Rams defensive end, retiring from the game. He did it in the way Chris only Chris Long can do it. He just... Took a picture of himself having a drink, toasting nature and off in the wild somewhere. And, um, well, it was a unique career. He was drafted number two overall in the first round by the St. Louis Rams in the 2008 draft. And um, he spent quite a few years with the Rams. As a matter of fact, eight years before the Rams let him go, he went to Philadelphia and also won a ring um, with, won a ring with both the, the, the Eagles and the Patriots, the Patriots. So, uh, what were your initial? What's your initial reaction to Chris Long retiring? Well, it's it's always interesting the timing of everything. But a guy like Chris Long had a great and successful year uh, years in the league, and you know, you know, as a player, when it's time. And I'm sure with his dad, How, and his other brother, I'm sure with his dad especially, he always knew probably going in when it was going to be a good time to retire, walk away before, you know, you really just start amassing a lot of injuries. I've seen a lot of guys try to get that one or two more years in. And next thing you know, they have a lot of major injuries down the stretch. So I'm sure he knew mentally and physically when it was time to walk away. When did you know that it was time to walk away? Well, you know, I, you know, again, I, I had a great opportunity to get t- 10 years in myself, but my last year I had a plantar fascia, plantar fasciitis foot injury. And so it was just a struggle just to kind of get through the season, practice every day, try to get through some games, inactive some games, things like that. The next off season, I was a free agent and it was like, do you want to move, go to another team? You want to try to rehab this injury, which still was bothering me, uh, or you say, hey, this was a good time. So for me, a little bit of the foot injury, but after 10 seasons, I was ready to get on with some other things in life. I think a lot of people don't actually understand how much of a beating your body takes over a course of an NFL career, especially if you are, in his case, an interior lineman. You're always going to be one of the first ones up there. I'm not picking on those defensive backs or anything. I know you did your fair share of hitting, but... Especially in the, in, the, in the trenches, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Eye gouging, <laughs> lots of other things going to. So <laughs> I can I can see this happening. I guess one of the first things I want to ask, though, just in your professional opinion here, and I mean, I'm, not, I'm not just talking to you now as a football player, but as a, as a Rams fan, you, you're a lifelong Rams fan. You know this Rams teams in its history. Um, where do you think he ranks among defensive ends in Rams history? Well, you know, as far as defensive end, you know, you're talking about him you talk about a guy named fred trier uh you talk about slash defensive end outside linebacker you know kevin green so depending on what year it is it was a dn another year it's somewhat of an outside linebacker so along obviously he was a combination guy he could play with his hand down as we say in a three-point or uh in a two-point where he's more like an outside linebacker. So he's going to rank up there among the top. You know, anytime you have a successful year, uh, a career with, he was with the Rams eight seasons. So that's a pretty successful career with one team. So he's going to be up there and, you know, it'll be yet to be seen if, if the numbers end up being Hall of Fame worthy. So a couple of things, a couple of thoughts on this I want to give. And if you disagree, it'd be fine. Uh, um, it's it's fair. There are going to be different people are going to feel different things about Chris Long. A couple things here, and I hate to say it this way. I honestly believe that while he was a great teammate and a solid player for this team, he did not reach his potential. 
40 was drafted to do. Number two overall, 2008. Okay. I do believe that. All that said, he was a leader on a team that really needed one. There weren't enough people like him in terms of those who were greedy would come to work, would fight in the trenches. And I really wish, I really wish this team had gotten better around him. And it never did. Whether it be, uh, well, whether it be Steve Spagnuolo leadership or uh, Jeff Fisher's leadership, I'm just looking at his core years, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013. Those are some solid defensive years the Rams had, and they never could quite put together offensively. They were a mess offensively. And I think it's a shame because maybe, just maybe, his numbers, his impact would have been greater if he had better teammates around him. Am I, am I being well, too harsh in assessing him? Well, I, I think this is the thing that goes into all sports. You know, how does a guy rank given draft round, given the situation, the team, the things like that? I always like to break it down. Something that stands out to me with uh, Chris is simply this. He started 16 games as a rookie in 08, and he started 13 of 13 games his last year with Philly. So when you look at it, Everything in between has a lot of good years, but he can say, man, I came in as a rookie, played every game. I went out playing every game that I had a chance to start. So he was 13 for 13. Are you saying 13 for for starting? Because he didn't start any games last year. Well, it says, you know, he had 13 games with 13 game starts. So now whether he only played a play or two and then he was out, but if I'm him, I'm looking at it and say, hey, I finished off strong. So he's going to be able to look himself. And, and again, maybe he looks in, you know, as he took that picture and he's looking out over that land and saying, hey, you know, we, we had a good run. And now I'm ready to get on uh, with some other things. But, you know, he had a nice start. He got a lot of guaranteed money uh, over those uh, yeah, years. So did. Again, my, my thoughts on on him and his and living up to his potential or not managed the personal. I'm just looking back on his career and thinking there was an opportunity lost there. I, I don't think we'll ever know how good he could have been because of the team that was around him. I honestly believe that. The, if the Rams had a good offense between 2008 and 2015 when he left, that defense is going to be run differently. And we, know, we have no idea how that team would have turned out. So I've, I really feel like the Rams wasted... His best years, I feel like the Rams wasted Robert Quinn's best years and a couple other players, James Laurinaitis. I believe the Rams wasted his best years. And that's, I mean, it's, it's sad to me to see these guys go. And uh, one, But one thing, at least Long got a couple rings. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe not with, with, with the Rams per se, but, uh, or did he get one? Yeah, early on. The Patriots and one with the Eagles. Eagles, yeah, so... You know, he's got two Super Bowl rings, two more than I've gotten. So that's a win for him. Uh, but definitely, when you get drafted that high to a team, it's for a reason. Uh, obviously, to come in, establish yourself, and hopefully be the anchor, whether it's an offensive or defensive player. And so I'm sure he, he has some, not so much regrets, but I'm sure he wished some things would have went, went differently. But, you know, the thing I love about, team sports is it's a team sport and so no matter him being ranked you know second pick or what have you it's still a team sport it takes 11 guys on both sides of the ball and then 11 guys on special team to get a win in the win column and then we would say you got to get enough in the bank to make it to the playoffs and then the playoffs is a whole new season so uh it's always tough when you play that long of a time period when you get up over five six ten years you hope to see, you know, a couple rings or at least a couple opportunities to have been in the Super Bowl. So, uh, but I think overall he's going to be pleased with his career and what he's done, and uh, I tip my hat to him. Well, that's a good 2013. That's 2013. Sorry, I apologize. 2011. His number 2011. 13 sacks, 37 combined tackles, 31 solo tackles. Um, for a defensive end, that's pretty good. 15 tackles for loss, 21 hits. Imagine how things could have been different for him if his team was protecting leads all the time instead of chasing them. Imagine how things could have been. I just, 
I think I think there's an element of sadness seeing him go. I think that's really what it is. But I also have one more question for you as well. And do you believe his legacy with the Rams is somewhat marred or not? It's just an honest question because I know some folks are unhappy with this because of his behavior with the fans following the Rams' loss to the Eagles in the late 2017 season. Did that make you think differently about him? No, I think because when it gets down to it, you know, it's it's an emotional sport. And, you know, a lot of different things go on. We don't know at the end of the day, though he played there a number of years, the re- being released and, or not re-signed, however you want to look at it, you don't know how that plays out in the individual's mind when you're no longer with the team. If it ends the right way, then you're going to have still good things to say. If it doesn't end the right way, you know, some things like that could happen down the road. But all in all, I think he's carried himself uh, well on the field and off the field. And and so I don't know that that would uh, negatively impact him, you know, too long. Well, one thing we do want to say to Chris, and I'm, I would bet a million dollars he will probably never listen to this podcast, but just in case he does, Chris Long, we do want to thank you for the blood, sweat, and tears that you shed for this franchise. You gave a, a ton. You played hurt. You got hurt, especially in those later years. And uh, we wish this team could have given you a little something more down the line. And so, uh, again, when, you know, we saw you today uh, with your picture. And right now I'm holding my mug up. And uh, here's a toast to you, sir. Um, thank you for the blood, the sweat, and the tears you spread. You uh, gave for this franchise. All right, so moving on here. Really quick before we get to the Michael Stewart rookie conversation. We do want <laughs> to give a shout-out to our sponsor. Our sponsor being Jim Hawk. Folks, most of us are practically addicted to anything in Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams' history, the personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood's Teen Great Glimmer in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams, the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out some story of his father and team played for an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Rebel players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Crazy Church, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You'll find Hawk's book online at hallwasteam.com and on Twitter at Team. It's available both in hardback, electronic form, and Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can also find Team through various other booksellers on the internet. Folks, I've read this book cover to cover. I'm telling you, it's well worth the read. All proceeds go to Homeboy Industries, which is a, an organization down there in Los Angeles that works to get people out of the gang life and making something of themselves in society. So check it out, folks. Hollywood's team, great glamour, in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. It's well worth your time. All right. Oh, and by the way, I've been finishing up my portion of the edits for the 1951 L.A. Rams book. that has an, I, I actually did the edit for, uh, for Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch, man. That's a really neat story. So when you get a chance, folks, read this book. And then, then in, I believe the book's coming in 2021. Read that one as well on the 1951 Rams. That's going to be really special to kind of get a, yeah, a view of what that team was made of. All right. So, Mike, you were a rookie for the Rams in the 80s. Okay. Um, I, I had a, I felt an old age joke coming there. Then I realized, man, you're not that much older than me. <laughs> I remember watching you play, and I was a kid. But if I opened that can of worms, I might be in trouble. So, but you, you've displayed a pretty good memory of the stuff. You've had, you played on a really cool organization in terms of, of a good locker room. You had a cool coach in John Robinson and you get to play alongside Jackie Slater and some just really awesome dudes. What can you tell us about the rookie life? And this week was the week where the rookies showed up and the Rams had all kinds of pictures of them online and, and showed them with their numbers. And what were you really trying to establish for yourself during that first week in camp? And what did you actually go through during that time period? Well, it's interesting because the first week of camp for, you know, this off-season camp at this time of the year, uh, you got to remember, for me, I grew up loving watching Rams. So that being the case, it was somewhat 
seeing all your heroes now on the same field as you. So a little bit for me was being just starstruck. It's like, oh man, there's Jackie Slater. Oh man, there's Jack. You know, Youngblood wasn't on the team, but he was around a lot. Ferragamo would show up a lot. You know, there's Eric Dickerson, man, Charles White, man, looking at all these guys. And so a little bit was just kind of getting used to the temple and watch how they did things. You know, Nolan Cromwell, Johnny Johnson, all these guys you grew up watching and now now you're out there. But what I loved and what I picked up on, they knew the veterans knew how to practice. They knew how to practice at a tempo. Uh, but it's just very smart, very smart seeing stuff before it happened. It just was that was a big eye opener. Like, wow, these guys don't just play. They actually know what's going to happen before it happens. What was in the end your main goal for that first look in terms of just trying to make sure you got you establish yourself to make this team um, to because you can't take anything for granted nothing at all and what did you want your coaches to see out of you right away well one you want to see or what I wanted them to see that one uh, I was going to hustle and I could be counted on to do that uh, it was kind of broken up into because you had you know you got drafted and then you had a mini camp and then they give you a playbook and an exercise routine and they go, make sure you when you come back to camp in the summer, you better be in shape. You have some testing to do. OK, so you're trying the best you can. You're looking through the playbook, start trying to learn the plays and then you're trying to condition as best you can to be ready for these tests. Then you get to camp and it's just rookies or selected veterans coming off an injury or guys that they had traded for so now you're competing each and every day to gain attention of your position coach uh, which was steve schaefer the defensive coordinator at that time which was fritz Shermer, and then uh of course john robinson and so they're evaluating every single thing special teams so on and so forth so now when you're in camp in the summer the main goal was to just be out there. You know, you get guys starting getting banged up. So my goal was like, man, I'm just be out here. And when I'm out here, I'm giving it everything I got. Tired, can't go, feel like I can't go. And so hopefully that registers. And the last thing you want to do is you're getting your name called because you keep messing up. So the thing is, you're trying not to mess up, you know, whatever the check is. You know what that check is. Because you don't want to go back into the film room and now they're just pointing you out over and over. God dang it. Hey, we did that check. We talked about that yesterday. You know, let's go get it together. So your your goal is, as a rookie, you only want to get your name called if it's something good. So tell us some good stories, though. Tell us something about that, that week that you, you uh, remember without giving away too much information, of course. We don't want to dig too much into those um, into those, uh, those big <laughs> memories. Come on, tell us something juicy, something good. Well, one of the funniest things that uh, I don't know if people may know or may know, you know, you hear about this thing called rookie hazing. Now, the Rams, it wasn't so much hazing you, but you knew you were a rookie. For instance, we would have uh, – breakfast then after practice you'd have lunch and then you'd have dinner well rookies always had to sing at any any time so what i would do i would get there super early in the morning as soon as breakfast get in there and scramble and get your food in and try to get tape before any veterans come in because veterans come in and they used to call me fresno because i went to fresno state they go fresno we need you to sing. And so you go <laughs> sing a song or a lot of times we would sing our, you know, fight song. And so you would get your singing in and leave. So my goal was, man, I'm going to get in to lunch, dinner or breakfast before the vendors come in. And then sometimes you would miss because you you would kind of walk up the walkway and you go, no, nah, I'm not going in. There. I'm not singing today. So you might even miss it. So that was kind of one of the things. The other thing was you had to get tape. Everybody had to get tape. But if a veteran came and said, hey, watch out, Rook, you would ha literally have to get off the taping table. So some days 
if you you weren't going to be late to practice. So veterans always would kind of come late and then they just boot you off the table. So you might have one leg tape, ankle tape and one leg not tape. But if you sprain your ankle and your leg was untaped, well, then you could get fined for that. So that was always funny, trying to beat the veterans into the the meal hall so that you wouldn't have to sing. So uh, so it was just kind of a a, a crack up. And uh, probably one of the other big things was how funny these guys were who were veterans. Now, you know, we're a rookie. We're practicing hard, and you just feel like, man, you can't go at all. But the veterans, again, they knew how to practice with each other, go at a temple that it looked like they were going really hard, but not really. And, you know, the coaches love that. But being a rookie, you had to do everything. If you were traveling, hey, Rook, carry the bags. You know, if you're getting on the elevator, hey, Rook, get off the elevator. You know, I'm going up now. And so you would do these things. So you'd be navigating your way through these situations, trying not to just get out the way, if you will. Well, I bet you're glad you weren't there a couple years earlier when they did the Ramit video. <laughs> exactly. <You know? laughs> so that one of the funniest of things, one of the funniest things that, that they had or we had, uh, we called it Bob. You get bobbed. And so getting Bob was if you were a rookie and you somehow bucked something that a veteran had you to do, whether it was, you know, say it now it's a season, you made a team. So we had to bring donuts pretty much every day. So the rookies would rotate bringing donuts. You know, they had to be a certain kind. And then some guys had special donuts that you had to make sure you get. You know, this was, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, we didn't have to do it on Friday because we traveled. But so you'd be rotating, spending your own money getting donuts. So what would happen is if you mess up and get didn't get donuts, well, the rest of the rookies, you know, you could suffer for it. So you weren't going to suffer. So you go, hey, that that wasn't me. That was such and such. Oh, it was. Well, he's going to get Bob. We're going to Bob him. So bobbing was you would get taped up like a mummy, if you will, in all kinds of ways, because if you ran, they would get you and you get taped up like a mummy and dunk you into the ice tub. So they throw you in the ice tub all taped up. You know, you might have grease on you. Uh, hot bomb, you know, just powder, you know, any kind of stuff, two face, you get bobbed and then and then the rest of the rookies, they could get you out after they let you, okay, he's had enough, you can take him out, you know, cut the tape off and all like that. So one of the things was you want to get through camp and through the season without getting bobbed. Oh Lord, are you getting bobbed? Hey, question for you. <laughs> yeah. What advice would you have to current rookies who are there now trying to make the team, not just the draft picks, but the undrafted ones, like the one we interviewed last week, that was Tyrell Thompson. What would your advice be to him? Well, basically, the advice is simple. Uh, Be inconspicuous until you need to be. So that means stay under the radar, you know, just go out, do your job, And the biggest thing they always say, make your play when it's time to make your play. So if you're a D-back and you got a chance to get an interception, don't drop it. You know, close it out, get the interception. If you're a receiver, you know, don't be out there dropping balls. You know, you got five balls thrown to you, you drop three of them. So you got to make sure because now with the limited practices and things like that, whereas in my day, if you were a physical player, you could make the team if you were physical. You could maybe blow because, but if you're hitting someone and running through people as a running back, being physical, you could do it. But now with with all the concussion things like that, and the le- the least amount, there's less time to be in pads and things like that. You have to actually show your ability without the physicality of things, even though they still want you to be physical. So the big thing is just be consistent. Don't you know, bring attention to yourself unless it's positive. All right. Well, there you go. There's the advice from the man who's been there and done that and worn the T-shirt. Well, and also, I mean, you wore the pads, quite frankly. If I'm just being a little bit, you know, kissing <laughs> you, you wore the pads. That's right. All right, folks. 
reach out to us if you're willing to sponsor us or want to sponsor us at Rams Talk 1945. Leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. Also, in case you haven't noticed, we also have another podcast out there for Talking Halos. It's about the Angels. We're still working on that Dodgers podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm throwing some shade at the rest of the guys here for being so slow on that because I'm already on episode 10 with Talking Halos. We're just totally behind the eight ball. Does that surprise you at all that the rest of the staff is behind me on this one and I'm just going with full steam ahead? <laughs> no, you are veteran. <laughs> so, veteran. <laughs> Man, that's making me feel old. Okay, so anyways, folks, if you like the Angels, and I know this is a much bigger fan base for the Dodgers and their team, it's fine. If you haven't liked the Angels, check it out, Talk on Halos. It's on our network as well. And now... For our tour in the league segment, we have Sam Marcou from the Perfectville Pod. He uh, gives us the lowdown, and I mean the lowdown, on the Miami Dolphins' effort to tank this year. Yes, he's serious. They're tanking. Check it out. All right, folks, I'm here with Sam Marcou, the host of the Perfectville Podcast. Sam, you were on last year. You were a bag of laughs. Great, great guest to have on the show. Welcome back, man. How you doing? I am doing fantastic. I am uh, sitting inside of my hotel room in beautiful Pismo Beach, California, on the road for comedy, and uh, just enjoying myself. Have I'm not going to lie, I've had a couple of uh, vodka tonics, and uh, you and I were just talking off the air about the Rams draft, and uh, no, thanks for having me back. I, I had a blast last year, and I think we talked in Domicon Sue and Robert Quinn last year when, when we were together. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit of Robert Quinn today, too, because I'm curious. I'm really curious about how that all went down. But I guess the first thing I want to ask you, though, is what the heck happened to the Dolphins in 2018, especially offensively, and why in the end did the team pull the plug on Adam Gase? Well, what the heck happened for, to the Miami Dolphins in, in uh, 2018 is exactly what we expected to happen. I mean, they went 7-9. and nine. They lived up to expectations. I don't know why people are so upset. Uh, this is what the Miami Dolphins do. I mean, until they lost that last game, just so people have a frame of reference, over the last 17, uh, I believe it's 17 years, they were uh, a 500 team, quite literally. I mean, they, they had the same amount of wins as they did losses over the last 17 years up until they lost that last game of the season. So they are the very definition of mediocrity. That's what they do. Um, look, bottom line, here's what happened. The, the coach... Adam Gase, uh, got a little too big for his britches, started alienating everyone within the Miami Dolphins organization. Uh, he was out on an island, and the only way to get yourself back from an island like that is to win, and he did not win. He had a quarterback who got injured. You uh, then, at that point, rely on Brock Osweiler. Um, he'd lost faith in Ryan Tannehill prior to the season. I mean, there's, there's some reports out there that they tried desperately to get Matthew Stafford. Did not work. So he went into this season somewhat of a lame duck coach with a lame, lame duck quarterback. And uh, the only people that suffered were the Miami Dolphins fans and anybody who had to watch a Miami Dolphins game this year. That includes me. I watched a couple. It was brutal. I, my, my apologies. Look, n- no, now, now I will say this. I will defend my team in that uh, we probably had the greatest play of the year against the New England Patriots. So we do have that going for us. We also had one of the greatest games uh, as weird as it sounds, against the Chicago Bears when Brock Osweiler beat the Chicago Bears in overtime. Uh, I was actually at that game October 14th, if I'm not mistaken, a day after my birthday in Miami. Um, so we did have some exciting things. We did do the high-five mm-hmm. touchdown dance after we beat the Oakland Raiders week three. We started 3-0. and I mean, there was some excitement throughout the season, but... Overall, and unless you watch those three games, uh, you were stuck with watching us beat the Titans after a seven-hour uh, lightning and thunder uh, game delay. It, 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 you know, terrible offense, terrible defense. Other than those three plays that I talked about, nothing else to really um, at home about regarding the Miami Dolphins. Looking ahead now, what was the Dolphins' mindset when they hired Brian Flores from the Patriots, and what are your immediate expectations of him in Miami? I'm going to speak for every Dolphin out there, all 13 of us, and uh, I'm going to say that you know we have a tempered, uh, long-term enthusiasm. And what I mean by that is I think just about everybody, inside or outside the Dolphins' sphere of influence, fans, um, colleagues, workers, things of that nature, uh, inside or out, yourself included, I'm 
thing, just pretty much know that we're going to be bad in 2019. I mean, we're, we're not making any loans about it. Um, now, the GM and the coach will come out and say we're not tanking, but then the owner, Stephen Ross, comes out and is like, we're absolutely tanking. I mean, we're, we're trying to lose as many games as we can to collect as many good assets in the draft as we can do in uh, 2020 for quarterback. Um, so we're not expecting much. Now, we do have Ryan Fitzpatrick, a.k.a. Fitzmagic. We do have Josh Rosen, a.k.a. Chosen Rosen. Um, so we might win a of games, but I don't think any um, Miami Doll fan out there is expecting us to make the playoffs or make the Super Bowl or do anything outside of, put it this way, if we win more than four games, I think we're like, okay, we had a good year. Well, I was just about to go to tanking and you kind of stole my thunder a little bit. Oh, so, my apologies. Dag nabbit. But after the moves the team did make, what do you believe they are going to do next year? Like, how far can they go? Can they get four or five wins? Can they get nine? I mean, okay, nine's probably me smoking something. But I just, what is the realistic number you can shoot for if you're a Dolphins fan for next year? Yeah, I mean, if they get nine wins, whatever you're smoking, uh, the other teams that they're facing must be smoking as well. I don't think the Miami Dolphins, you know, anywhere near nine wins, eight wins, seven wins. I mean, I'll say this. I think their max, and this is if everything breaks the right way, is probably six wins, and that's by design. I mean, look, the fun thing about this is, do you remember the the movie Geely with J-Lo and uh, Ben Affleck? It was universally, yeah, it was was the worst movie of all time. I think everybody agrees with that. But if you go into that knowing that it's the worst movie of all time, it makes it fun because you can just be, you can just embrace how bad it is. This is the Miami Dolphins Geely moment, okay? This is us knowing, walking in, that this is a bad movie, that this is nothing that uh, anybody would really want to endure, which makes it fun. So I think that the, the high end, if I'm being optimistic, is going to be 6-10. and 10. The low end is, is quite literally 0-16. Now, they'll probably fall somewhere in between there. Um, I'm willing to bet that the over-under is going to be four and a half wins for most people. And if they win four games, you know, so be it. Uh, they are set themselves up. I mean, this year is going to be bad. But if, you, if you're a fan and if you're listening to this right now, you are a fan of football, uh, understand what they have brewing in 2020. And this is going to be a very quick rebuild for the Miami Dolphins. Okay, so there are a couple of little things I want to ask about, and one of them is one of our one of our own, or usually one of our own, Robert Quinn. Why did the Dolphins give up on him so quickly? You know, we talked about this a year ago, and I don't know if they gave up on him. Robert Quinn wasn't bad for the Miami Dolphins. He wasn't good. Uh, he was just kind of the, he's that guy that just shows up at the party that was not really invited, but you kind of look over and go, oh, what's so and so doing? That's eh, fine, whatever. He can have a beer like that. That's who Robert Quinn was for the Miami Dolphins last year. He had a couple of uh, flashes early where we're like, okay, we we stole this from the Rams, but then you know he he, he kind of petered off, tapered off. I mean, the whole team did. Obviously, uh, nobody had any issues with Robert Quinn uh, as a Miami Dolphin, um, but. The fact that they're able to trade him to the Dallas Cowboys, I think for like a sixth round pick, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing high, um, was was good for us. I mean, what the Miami Dolphins did, what Chris Greer did, which I thought was impressive, is that he basically bought draft picks. He he bought draft capital. He he paid for Ryan Tannehill to go away to the Tennessee Titans and get a draft pick uh, draft pick in in return. He paid for Robert Quinn to go away and get a draft pick in return. I mean, their long term vision is something I agree with. So there was nothing personal with Robert Quinn. It was just kind of like like I said, he was the guy at the party that was you know getting a free beer off the keg, even though he didn't chip in. Well, that was pretty much his last two seasons with the Rams, too. So there you go. Oh, well, there you go. So yeah. there you go, Dallas. There you go, Dallas Cowboys. That's what you can expect from Robert freaking Quinn uh, next year. So there you go. There apparently weren't many tears shed when the team traded Ryan Tannehill. What happened no. to Ryan Tannehill, and what's the truth behind his departure? You know, Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I, you know, full disclosure, I loved Ryan Tannehill. I, I don't. I don't typically get uh, jerseys of current players. I had a Cam Wake jersey. He's now Tennessee Titans, and I had a Ryan Tannehill jersey, who's also with the Tennessee Titans. Um, you know, Ryan Tannehill was probably, in terms of just pure talent, I know some people are going to probably, you know, make a face right here, was probably the best quarterback the Miami Dolphins have had since Miami or since uh, Dan Marino uh, with regards to just pure talent. Now, he suffered from bad coaching. He suffered from... Um, a lot of regime changes. He also suffered from the fact that when he started getting going about two and a half years ago, the Arizona Cardinals, one of your guys' rivals, 
uh, decided to just turn him into a goddamn flamingo, and it ruined his career. I mean, quite quite honestly, once they bent him backwards like that at the kneecap, uh, that was it. And, and if you look at that team, that team went to the playoffs not because Matt Moore came in and, and lit the, the, the league on fire, but because they had so much momentum. They had so much going for them that uh, when Ryan Tannehill was injured, they had enough momentum to get them into the playoffs. Um, I, I, I really do uh, believe that if injury had not happened, he would still be the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins today. The Miami Dolphins would not uh, be in the position that they are in, but things happen. He got injured, and uh, because of that, uh, it's now time to move on. I mean, quite frankly, he didn't get surgery after that injury by Calais Campbell. Um, he got injured again in preseason the year after. He lost about two years of his playing career, and you know, two knee injuries to the same knee, is he's never going to come back and be the same player, and he just wasn't. And like I said, there, there's a lot of rumors out there. I've spoken to people within the Miami Dolphins organization that can confirm this, that Adam Gase and the Miami Dolphins went hard after Matthew Stafford. It did not work out, so they had a lame duck quarterback. I mean, they, they lost faith in Ryan Tan, and when you lose faith in your quarterback and you lose faith in, faith in your head coach, you, you're going to have the season that they had. So, um, that's it. Injuries, kind of injuries, and a, and a fat contract ruined his career with the Miami Dolphins. So, what were the best offseason moves for the Dolphins overall this this offseason? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I do like the Ryan Fitzpatrick move, um, not because I think he's going to take us to the promised land or anything like that, but because from a pure entertainment standpoint, if you can look your fans in the eye and say, "Yes, we're going to be bad, but we're going to have fun being bad." I'm okay with that. I mean, there, there's honesty in that marketing. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is nothing short of being entertaining. And, you know, I mean, he's not a good quarterback. Um, Josh Rosen, you know, that, that move kind of took me by surprise, to be honest with you. But uh, I'm okay with it. I mean, they, they, they basically bought on the low end. If he works out, great. Um, you know, you have all these draft picks that you can use to build a team around him. If he doesn't work out, fine. You go after, uh, you know, that stacked quarterback class of 2020. And, you you know, you cut bait. They're not paying Josh Rosen anything. The Arizona Cardinals are fitting that bill right now. So I like those two moves at the quarterback position. I mean, if you're going to tank and you're going to rebuild, you know, having Ryan Fitzpatrick as the guy that says, look, he'll sell a couple tickets. And Josh Rosen as a project quarterback, even after one year. Uh, after being the 10th overall pick, I'm okay with that. So I would say those are their two best moves in terms of player personnel. The best move they made, quite frankly, was getting rid of Mike freaking Tannebaum and Adam Gase. Those guys are toxic. The New York Jets hiring Adam Gase shows you just how bass backwards that whole entire franchise is. Mike Tannebaum now doing radio for ESPN. He can't even get on TV, that bald weirdo. He has to be on radio in order to do anything for the ESPN um, NFL draft and everything else. Tells me that everyone knows that he was just a sad sack of crap. The best thing they could have done was flush out an entire front office, start over with Brian Flores, who's going to have a, bring a no-nonsense attitude. You have Chris Greer, who seems to have a pretty good take on being a scout. I and mean, that's what, that's his background as a GM, is he was a scout. So that's probably the best overall move. But in terms of player personnel, I think it's just, you know, piecing together Ryan Fitzpatrick and um, Josh Rosen as your quarterbacks. I mean, everything else, they got those bloated contracts. They're, they're starting over the 120 plus million dollars in in um, cap space in 2020 plus uh, 12 draft picks that's pretty good way to restart after a bad year well at this point how do you grade the dolphins draft Ooh, good question um you know look i'm more of a pessimist than an optimist um my wife has has told me that never get too excited about anything including the ram beating the patriots in the super bowl no offense um so i'm gonna say it's a it's a b to a b minus i mean i would have liked to have seen them address more um uh now needs if you will but at the same time that's not their plan so if they're sticking to their plan of starting you know the rebuild now and having a year or two of just being bad um, until they can get good again, then I guess at that point it's more of a high B. Um, I, I love the pick at 13. I mean, you need a defensive uh, line rebuild at this point. Uh, so getting a young, energetic kid in there uh, does that. Um, Josh Rosen buying low. I mean, l- l- let's be honest. Here's what they did. Uh, this is They had the pick number 48. They, they trade it to the Saints, and they get a second rounder for 2020. And they trade back to the 62nd pick, which they then trade to the Arizona Cardinals for Josh Rosen. So here's what happened. The Arizona Cardinals said, we demand a second round pick. And the Miami Dolphins said, you know what? That's fine, but we're not giving you the 48th overall. We're going to trade down to the very end of the second round. And 
and then we'll trade you that second round pick, which to me is the equivalent of being that guy at the bar at 10 a.m. who knows he can take the ugly, gross girl home right then and there, but also knows that he can take her home at 2 a.m. He's going to see what other options are out there in the meantime. <laughs> and that's exactly what they did. I mean, they, the Arizona Cardinals were the ugly chick, and they took them home at 2 a.m. They got him with a late second-round pick instead of a middle or early second-round pick. Um, so from that regard, you know, I, I do respect Chris Greer for playing them like a fiddle. Um, I'm going to give him a B, B minus. I mean, I'm not. I'm like I said, I'm I'm somewhat pessimistic. Uh, I just know that they're going to do something poor <laughs> going into this season. But uh, I do like some of the pieces. I like the first round pick. I do. Uh, like the chess match that they had with Josh Rosen in the in the late second rounder. After that, it's kind of a crapshoot once you get into third, fourth, fifth round. All right, so you basically answered everything I wanted to know. Cause you even answered it early. So I guess the last question I have for you is: How do you see the AFC East shaking out next year? Well, you know, if the Patriots could ever get themselves a quarterback and a head coach worth a damn, I guess they could, they, they actually might uh, they actually might do something in the old uh, AFC East. But you no, know, look, I mean, you've got three teams that are basically rebuilding. They're they're staggering that rebuild. I mean, the Bills are probably ahead of the Dolphins and the Jets right now with regards to their rebuild. Uh, the Jets and the Dolphins probably not too far behind them with regards to the timeline. Uh, the Patriots are the king of the division, just like I think you and I talked about this last year. Uh, it's their division to lose. Uh, now, the, now, the Patriots have had, have lost a lot of people. I mean, Gronkowski, uh, safety extraordinaire, is gone. Uh, he also played tight end on the side. Um, you've got coaches that have, have left the New England Patriots to go to the Miami Dolphins and elsewhere. Uh, so they do seem to have some rats jumping off of somewhat sinking ship. But that division is so poor outside of the New England Patriots that they're going to be um, the league leaders for at least another year. I mean, basically until Tom Brady and or Bill Belichick decides to hang it up, it's their division to lose. All right. Well, hey, Sam, let people know where they can find you. Yeah. So we, uh, we do a podcast called uh, Welcome to Perfectville. Or Perfectville podcast, either one. We we brand it either way. It's myself and Chris Cullen, a former collegiate linebacker, uh, both Miami Dolphins fans. You can find us there. Uh, you can find us at Perfectville Pod, or you can find me personally if you want to uh, catch me show here, there, and everywhere. I'm on tour right now through mid June. Uh, SamMarku.com. You can find all my tour dates for stand up comedy. So uh, if you'd love to uh, come on out, get a hold of me somehow, and I'll make sure you get into the show. You ever come? You ever come to the East Coast? Yeah, I was just in uh, Florida. I was in Tampa in February, and then I'll be in Boston in July. I'll go wherever you need me to go, Derek. I mean, you just <laughs> let me know where, where I need to be, and I'll be there. Find a, find a place in Ohio. We'll come watch it perform. Yeah, well, anywhere but Ohio. You got the New Jersey of the Midwest, but no, I'm oh, kidding. Um jeez. Hey, we have Greenfield today. <laughs> I've got today, family in Union. <laughs> No, I have I have family from uh, Union, Kentucky, which is basically north of Cleveland, Ohio. So I uh, I know the area somewhat. But uh, somewhat. anytime, any there's a funny bone in Columbus, I believe. There is, yes, there is. Yeah, yeah. All so right. maybe I'll go. Well, thanks so much, Sam, for taking the time to come on today, and we really appreciate it. Anytime. I appreciate the invite. And uh, like I said, hey, every doll fan was behind the Rams, just so you guys know. Uh, we, we were big Rams fans up until you know the end of that Super Bowl. So if you guys happen to go back next year and you happen to play the Patriots, just do me a favor and score more than three points, and, and we'll be your fans again. We would really appreciate that, too. <laughs> it, would be, it would be nice. <laughs> All right, Sam, take care. Yeah, now. you too. The always entertaining Sam Marku, and he always makes me have to mark this podcast explicit every single time he's on. I very rarely have to mark Rams Talk Radio explicit. I do this time, but thanks so much, Sam, for coming on. If you get a chance to see him on tour, he's currently, I believe he's out in California. Last I checked. But he'll be moving to the East Coast as well. Check him out against Sam Marku. So, hey, any final thoughts today before we hit the road? Hey, you guys be safe out there. Uh, good time. Spring is coming. Well, s- spring is here. Summer is coming. School's about to be out. A lot of graduation traffic, at least out here on the West Coast. So, man, just enjoy your time while you're out there on the highways and byways. The highways, especially in Los Angeles, man. Can't never take that for granted. And you're getting closer, too. Have you closed out spring ball yet? We are going to go this week, and then we have graduation the following week which uh finals and all that stuff so we, this is our last week spring ball and how's it gone it's going good going good we finally got our oc in so he'll start with us this week so that's exciting 
Ooh, ooh, ooh. Tell us about yeah. his experience. Well, his experience, he actually coached with a coach uh, at one of the bigger high schools in Southern California, Servite High School. They came up to Bakersfield and took over a smaller program, actually where the former Bakersfield High coach is now at Garces High. And then the uh, coach that uh, Cody is our offensive coordinator, he went back up to Canada. So they had some great, great, great time. They uh, were rebuilding the program. Garce is a smaller uh, private school here. So uh, Coach Gola is going to go in there and try to do what he did here at Bakersfield High. But we're glad to see him over there. And us drillers, as you can see by my hat, (laughs) we're going to handle our business. So is it a uh, kind of offense going to be full spread? Of course, it's going to be a lot of, no, definitely not going to be that. It's going to be a lot of, a lot more spread, more balanced attack. Uh, You know, I I like the old school, deep eye back that Eric Dickerson, you know, give that ball back there and let the running back go to work. So we're doing some formations like that, but, you know, haven't got handled so many years by the 49ers. I got a few of their plays in too. Yeah. Some of the current Rams plays in too. Lots and lots and lots of deception. That's right. All right, folks. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can also find me on Twitter at DC Paula and Mike, of course, at 1Do23. Don't forget us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, already all those places. And, of course, I beat Real Plays our, our show on Wednesdays and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. For Mike, this is Derek C. Paula saying take it easy, have a great one, and we'll see you this week. See ya. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV.